This is Owen Colfer in Dublin. This is Andrew Duncan in London. Welcome to episode six of Double Booked. Double Books is a podcast for people who love books, um, children's books, graphic novels, libraries, bookshops, secondhand bookshops, librarians and secondhand librarians. Andrew Duncan, uh, my co-host, is the internationally well-known author of over 60 books and uh, graphic novels for children and adults and has sold several million in his lifetime. But uh, I think more importantly than all that, Andrew, is you've had kind of a rough week and we're, we're very glad to have you here. Uh, thank you. Um, I, I had a sad event uh, in my household since we were last on air with episode five, which is that my mum, my dear old mum, passed away and she was always uh, the biggest, biggest supporter of me being a writer and my writing and the biggest fan all through the years. She listened to the first three or four uh, double books uh, over the summer and the early autumn and loved it and loved uh, hearing us sparring and messing about and stuff and so uh, with your permission sir I'd like to dedicate this episode six um, to her. Her name was Jean Franz Donkin and she'll be much missed by her family and me. Absolutely. Or oh, sorry for that, Andrew, but uh, I, I know she loved the podcast, and I think she'd uh, especially love. Uh, Anno- annoyingly, she particularly always went on about how much she loved you in the podcast, which was well. Which, well, she knew you heart, very well. So heart, heart, heartbreaking, <laughs> but heartbreaking. But there we go. Um, I should introduce you as well. You are the genius behind the genius, by which I mean you are the genius that created um, boy prodigy genius Artemis Fowl. Um, I've, I've been surfing a wave of Artemis success for over the last two decades, taking you globally all over the place, uh, winning numerous awards and being uh, a top, top A-list celebrity children's author. So there, um, there you go. And I'm delighted to have you back for episode six of our brainchild, Double Booked. Well, thank you very much. That that was incredibly nice. And now I'm suspicious. <laughs> I think just the mum, the mum thing has just made me a nicer person just temporarily. Yeah, so yeah. it's not going to last. But and also, our viewers cannot see, but we and me and Seamus cannot can see the entirety of Andrew's face because for the first time in many many years, you have you've man sculpted yourself. If that's I don't think that's the right term, but you've taken <laughs> off you've taken off your beard. So usually a little bit. Pretty, it's just short. It's, it's just it's just very short as well. It's, but, it's a know, bit. It's, like, it's like it it's reminds me of the Careless Whisper videos. You know, remember George Michael had his double beard going on. It's a true, bit like, but but everything reminds you of the Careless Whisper videos. <laughs> that so. is a great video. <laughs> he's got those ropes. He's hanging on those ropes in the middle of the road, and he's like. <laughs> It's like an urban tourism. Wonderful. And we should say as well, because it's our kind of December special and kind of Christmas show, uh, Seamus is here. Seamus, will you say hello? Would you say Merry Christmas to our uh, to our listeners? Merry Christmas, my handsome author friends. Uh, it's lovely to see you too. I have to say that Owen is looking also very man-sculpted, yeah. uh, which is There's now... A, a, new, tr- a new word, a new term. Yeah, and, that's a it. New tra- Hashtag man sculpture. Uh, Seamus has changed his 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 name on the screen to Shameless Whisper, which I he, <laughs> he's so fast, he's so quick at those. It's like... <laughs> I'll have the song uh, ready for for Christmas time, guys. Uh, so, but anyway, back over to the more important people here. Back to yeah. the news desk, Owen. Would you like to know what's on the show this month? Well, I would love to see you kind of shuffle the papers. You know the way the newscast. There you go. All right, tell me what's on the show. We've got loads and loads of special guests because it's our end of year. This is the end of season one. We'll be back in January with season two, but this is the end of season one of Double Booked. So we have got all of our guests back, which is Johnson Stroud, Jenny Valentine, um, Cressida Cowell, 
uh, and uh, MJ Leonard, as well as this podcast special guest, illustrator extraordinaire PJ Lynch. And they are all popping in to give us a book recommendation. Um, they're recommending a book. Um, they've had their choice of any children's book that they like, I suspect, because a lot of them are good friends of ours. That yeah. I suspect a lot of them will name books probably written by you or me or both of us. Um, I think but we'll, that's but probably, we'll they don't want to say we'll definite, say, but it's you pretty, want to say definite, but at least some of them will. And that, that, that's enough. We'll start. It with occurs to me that we bit. should have probably asked them to do that when they were in here and recorded it. Yes, but Seamus, Seamus has been round to their houses, <laughs> pestering them from their back gardens, holding a microphone through their living room doors yeah. when they've been having dinner. Uh, and apparently he has got six recommendations from them. So that will be that will be brilliant. Um, me, well. myself and I is my choice this week. And I'm going for what I think genuinely is a work of genius and an overlooked children's classic, which is a book called A Mouse and His Child by a fantastic writer called Russell Hoban, and I'm going to be telling you why I think that's overlooked and how, how brilliant it is. Um, we've got a tiny, we've got a romantic mad science this week, which is a really tenuous link to science. There's not really any science in it, but it's a nice romantic Christmas story. Um, we've got an author interview with PJ Lynch, the fantastic illustrator. He's also an author, um, and he was uh, just just a, a brilliant, brilliant artist. Um, and then we've got, it was rubbish, but I loved it. And what have you picked? That's your pick this podcast well I, I thought in keeping with the the yuletide season i would pick a Christmassy thing and i've gotten a few presents over the years which i really wanted it's kind of two sections one of them is presents i really didn't want and i thought they were rubbish but they turned out to be amazing and actually shaped my career a little bit and then two which i thought would be amazing but actually turned out to be rubbish so i think it's one everybody can identify with. we've all got that present that we really didn't want absolutely Brilliant. And then we've got an Agony Owen, which is about taking time off at Christmas. Um, and then and then that's it. I think that's a packed programme, especially with five top special guests and uh, 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 our lovely shows and Seamus as well. So should we crack on with me, myself and I? We, we should crack on uh, with that uh, because I, I really want to get quickly to the recommendations and see just how many of those people recommend us well they're I friends want... so it's going to be nearly all it's going to be, we're going to start be with... Jonathan Stroud is not going to let us down he's, he's no. a really yeah. good friend so he's, he's kind of worships us it's embarrassing really but yeah. I'm sure he's going to I don't know we'll, we'll, we'll see we'll see we'll see Seamus play the little tagline thing I love that hmm I wonder what they've picked this time it's me my shelf and I so this book The Mouse and His Child um, you you have claimed that this is something of an overlooked masterpiece Mr. Duncan so could you please justify that claim Yeah absolutely um th- this is a book that that I worry would be published today because wouldn't be published today because it's a children's book that's not really for children uh, and it's not really for adults and and it's certainly not for for young adults but at the same time it's for absolutely everybody um it, the title is the mouse and his child it was published by um uh, russell hoban in 1967 and it's a story of a clockwork mouse and his son um and their wanderings it begins in a toy shop at christmas and they're bought uh, uh by somebody and then there's a little accident that happens and they're and they're kind of callously discarded they're not quite broken but they're callously discarded and they set off in search of a family um and, and this is a lovely lovely line a way of becoming self-winding because here's the thing the boy and his father their hands are linked they're clockwork mice their hands are linked together and they can only move or walk or have any kind of life when somebody winds them so although they're conscious and, and animate the whole time um 
they want to find within the story a family, they want to find love, and they want to find a way of becoming self-winding, which all the way through is just a lovely metaphor. It's really a book about identity and finding yourself and finding your place in the world. And these two set out, having been callously dumped after after day after Christmas, to find their place in the world. On the way, um, they suffer all sorts of hardships. They they are get involved in a war uh, between rodents. They spend the time living on a rubbish dump. At one point, they get thrown uh, into the bottom of a pond and they overwinter at the bottom of the pond, conscious. Um, and they also suffer slavery under an evil villainous character called Manny the Rat. Now, Manny the Rat is one of the great villains of children's literature. He's incredibly uh, well-drawn. He is uh, a rat who is running a kind of underground movement. He's obsessive, he's complex, he's unpredictable, he's very clever, but ultimately he has the flaws of villainy that that let him down. Uh, Russell Hoban has such a rich imagination. There are talking beetles and talking um, frogs. Um, there, there's all kinds of animals. Um, he said that the story idea came to him one Christmas. He was at somebody's house, and under their Christmas tree, they had some of these wind-up toys. I had a, a wound-up mouse with its little kind of baby mouse walking along, and the person was saying, oh, and I've got these down, uh, Russell, from the loft for Christmas. And, and he thought, wow, okay, what kind of life is that for them they're you know for 50 weeks of the year they're in a box packed away in the loft and then they just live for the two weeks of the year that they're allowed to come down and be under the christmas tree and be wound and then the rest of the year they're just in suspended animation packed off there with no love just kind of wondering what's happening and so he concocted this amazing story where what if during that two-week period when they're down they get um, they get set free, in effect. They get thrown out of the back door and they're found by a tramp who winds them up and sets them loose into the world. And instead of going back into their annual hibernation, having no kind of life, they set off in the world to find their own existence, their own identity and their own place in the world. And I think that A Mouse and His Child is a brilliant story. It's fantastically written and it's a brilliant story for anybody who sometimes wonders what their place is in the world and would like to find it. Um, and with your permission, I would like to read a little excerpt now. I'm going to read the beginning of chapter two, because a tiny bit into chapter two, um, the mouse and his child meet Manny. And I just want to introduce you to Manny the rat. So what's happened so far is that the mice have been bought from the toy shop by somebody with more money than sense. Uh, an accident happens at home and one of them gets dented and then they've been callously cast out. Um, and now they're just uh, walking along. Chapter two. The mouse father walked forward on the bridge, pushing the child backwards before him until his motor ran down and he could move no further. Trains rumbled and shrieked on the tracks below. Cars and trucks shook the bridge as they roared past and vanished in the distance while father and son stood trembling. The afternoon wore on towards evening and the broken glass of the roadside glittered in the last low sunlight of the day. The snowy fields glowed brightly and went dark. At the dump, the fires of burning rubbish smouldered red and smoky in the dusk. The bridge lights went on, and beyond their unearthly blue glare, the highway lamps spaced out over the twilight to, to the dark horizon. Far away, the clock on the town hall, town hall told the hours, and the mouse and his child waited in silence until they heard the faint strokes of midnight. You see now where your crying has brought us, said the father. I'm sorry, Papa, said the child. I didn't mean to cry. I couldn't help it. 
The father looked thoughtfully into the night beyond the bridge where the red tail lights diminished and the white tail lights continued approaching. The wind was rising and in silences between the traffic, the girders of the bridge creaked with cold. How strange it is to walk straight ahead, he said. I walked backwards, said the child, but I liked it better than dancing in a circle. What should we do now? Who knows, said the father. There seems to be a good deal more to the world than the Christmas tree and the attic and the dustbin. Anything at all might happen, I suppose. But it won't, said a soft voice close by. Not this evening, my lads. A large rat crept out of the shadows of the girders onto the light of the overhead lamps and stood suddenly on his hind legs before the mouse and his child. He wore a greasy scrap of silk tied with a dingy string in the manner of a dressing gown, and he smelled of darkness, of stale and mouldy things and garbage. He was there all at once and with a look of tenure, as if he had been waiting always just beyond their field of vision and once let in, would never go away. In the eerie blue glare, he, peers, he peered at the father and son. His eyes, as passing headlights came and went, flashed black and red like two round, tiny mirrors. Time to be moving along now, said the rat. He set them on their feet, wound up the father and guided them across the bridge and up the road towards the dump. Where are you taking us? asked the father. To a ball, said the rat. To a jolly, jolly ball at the royal palace where we shall all drink champagne and dance until dawn. How will that be? He laughed softly. His voice, half pleasant, half repellent, was oddly mild and persuasive. Are we really going to a palace? asked the child. I don't think so, said the father. He's, he's teasing us. Yes, said the rat. I'm a dreadful tease. That is a spooky rat. It's a spooky rat. He is one of the most sinister characters in children's literature. Um, and that's my recommendation. It's available as a Faber modern children's classic. It's available in the USA. It's available in Ireland. If you don't know the book already, A Mouse and His Child by Russell Hoban. Um, uh, please go and read it. And if you like it, if you don't like it, write in with your views on it to doublebookpodcast at AOL.com. Um, and we'll read some out next time. But it's it's a fantastic book, Owen. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't think, I think I read it, but not, did you read it when you were young? I mean, how old were I, you? I read it as a kind of um, teenager because it was recommended to me. So I didn't read it when I was, when I was young. Um, and, yeah. and I think it's probably kind of 11 plus. You could, you could read it to a youngster and they would get the kind of like, oh, it's a talking rat and a talking mouse. But you probably yeah. need to be kind of 11 plus teenager to kind of get the, get the darkness. Because Manny, the reason that Manny is so menacing is that he isn't a mad villain who just wants to set off an atomic bomb and conquer the world. He is just really seductive and really creepy and really, really uh, corrupting and really evil um he does get his comeuppance and if you're thinking about reading it to your kids or buying it uh, no spoilers but there is a happy ending it's not terrible but it is a fantastic journey to go on and russell hoban who's who's also known as the author of turtle diary is one of his famous adult books is a brilliant brilliant writer yeah that's a great recommendation that's to go to the and it'll be a great christmas gift actually so if you're still looking out for a gift that might be one to grab for your 10 plus child as opposed to your 10 plus children that's a different oh, thing yeah, that's that's you wouldn't have any money left for books would you your 10 plus children <laughs> crikey oh right listen is it time to hear a recommendation i think it is and i think we're gonna we'll do them in order they appeared in the episodes our lovely lovely guests and thanks thank them all so much for being a uh, part of double book this year so this is uh the recommendation from our dear friend jonathan stroud 
I don't know what he's going to go for because it could be 25 cities. It could be the foul twins, or I suspect Jonathan, because uh, he's so, he's lovely. He's so lovely and he's so posh. When he rings up, I get my kids to answer the phone and pretend to be my butler. That's how posh he is. He's absolutely lovely. And we're gonna we're gonna have to see what he recommends. Um, it may well be illegal. Uh, Seamus, play Jonathan. Hi, this is uh, Jonathan Stroud with my recommendation. Uh, it is Wild Lord by Philip Womack. Uh, which is a fantastic fantasy, uh, a story of Tom, a young orphan lad who is uh, lives at a boarding school. His parents are dead. He has nowhere to go. The holidays begin. He is still at school. Um, a mysterious boy that he's never met before appears uh, while the school bells are ringing and gives him a letter from an uncle he never knew he had, inviting him to come to his house and live with him. Um, he looks up. The boy has gone. The bells continue to, to chime. All this happened between the, <clears throat> the 10th and the 11th uh, stroke of the bell. He goes to Suffolk. He goes to this house. He meets his uncle Jack and two mysterious servants this guy has. As he arrives at the house, he is shot at with arrows and he soon discovers there are supernatural beings out in the woods besieging the house. His uncle, a magician, wants him to help uh, defend the property. Um, but of course, there's more to this than meets the eye. I loved it. It's a, about a lonely child. It's got a tremendous sense of place, sense of time, the power of nature, um, a brilliant depiction of magic and a fantastic cast of characters treated with great compassion. It's a fantasy for everybody who loves great English literature. Well, that's a, that's a, a shock, a shocker. I mean, I'm not saying... Philip Womack's not great, mm. but uh, he is not us. I feel yeah, I know did, what happened there. I feel Jonathan didn't understand the rules and yeah. he thought he do you, couldn't do us. Do you think he thinks that Philip Womack is a pseudonym of yours? That's probably what it is. I you know, I, I don't know. That's, I can't. That's, I think we'll have well. to. Maybe we can contact Jonathan and yeah, that's, ask him that's you know, what, what, what's going on there. He might like to do a do over. I think we could we could arrange that. But yeah. Uh, anyway, there's four more to go. Yeah, so, no, we'll, be, we'll be in the reference. Can we move on? Let's 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 have mad science. I think that would distract us from from that disturbing recommendation. Mad science, please. Science me. Hello, you're true to the weird science department. Have you tried turning it on and off again? Okay, well, this is this is a very tenuous story. There's there's almost no science to this apart from there's a little gap in time. Um, but this but this is nice. This is from Ripley's Believe It or Not, the little Christmas edition, because it's a special, special Christmassy show. Um, this is a heartwarming, heartwarming story. In 1971, Adrian Pierce of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, was given a Christmas gift by his then uh, girlfriend, um, who immediately broke up with him, which is, for a start, we have to say bad timing. Why would you give a gift to someone if you're going to break up with him? But he was given, and he, he held on to the unwrapped present for 50 years. So he kept it. He couldn't bear to get rid of it, but he didn't unwrap it until December the 6th, 2018, when the two, he and his girlfriend, came together to unwrap it for charity. Any any guesses as to what was the, what, what the gift was? What was in that little place? Pregnancy test. It was a book about love. There oh, you go. Finally okay. unwrapped I, yeah. 50 years after it was given and kept safely for five decades by Adrian Pierce. So there you go. I think that's a nice. I wonder. I wonder why he couldn't. Um, he was just too heartbroken to open the present, and then maybe after a few years, he just put it to one side. That is, and it yeah, was, it was a, a book about book? love. And they came together. Is, are they famous? Is one of them famous, or was this? 
Why would I wonder why they're, they're they were famous? They're famous to double book listeners as the the, the the book that was kept for a long time couple. But that's it. They're not. They're not otherwise the famous. They're not, they're not like share or something. I think it's very romantic, in a way. You know that they he didn't open the book and the, and then but he was obviously thinking about her all that time and maybe every year he just picked up the package and thought, shall I? And then said, Sean, no, exactly. I shan't. And he kept it safe. He knew where it was. All right. Now, uh, Jonathan has obviously disappointed us, but next up is Jenny Valentine and her book recommendation. Oh, wow. I love Jenny. We Jenny are... loves us. So it's only a question she of what book she's picked. So um, Seamus, uh, you take this. Please play Please play Jenny's book recommendation from the great Jenny Valentine. Um, let's have it. I've decided to plug a book that I haven't finished yet. It's quite original, isn't it? But it's so good. Um, it's called Upper World by Femi Fadogba. It's so good. It's got... It's a really interesting combination of things. It's... Um, it's, it's breathtakingly clever and exciting but also and, and deeply rooted in that kind of imaginative strand of science that I find bewildering and fascinating in equal measure and it's got diagrams in the back with maths and kind of you know fairly understandable explanations for these completely mind-boggling concepts and I'm completely in love with it and I haven't finished it yet but I have total faith that even if I had finished it, I would still be recommending it as my book. Upper World. We that's definitely that's, not that's us. Not, that's, I not know us. That's, that's not us. I'm looking back through my through my catalogue then. No, I've, I've done, done a lot, but even the DK readers I did years ago. No, it's not. That's, that's not on them. That's not. That's not one of ours. That's not oh. one of ours. Okay. Um, Have we sent Jenny her check for appearing on the show? No, Maybe we no, should. We haven't. Um, no. We okay. Haven't. Well, let's yeah, not do no, that. We haven't sent this out. Okay. I. I love Jenny. I still love Jenny, but I love Jenny yeah. less than I did yeah. about ninety seconds ago. So there we, I, I don't know. About three percent less. Okay. Yeah. That that is very. I I don't want to say rude, but yes, I will say it's rude. You bring someone on a podcast, talk all about their brilliant books, and and then we get Upper World just slapped in our face like yeah. a wet fish. She was talking about her books, um, Joy, but that certainly not brought us joy. So like, I knew you'd like that. You see what I did there? Same as his love. Nice. You almost there. finished it for yourself. It's like it's like being in a Pixar movie doing a podcast with you. Everything yeah. is connected. There you I go. Let's get you – know, you have bagged us a fantastic Irish guest, um, the biggest the biggest name in Irish illustration, I would say. Um, he was definitely – he's definitely – we're having a bit of a golden age in Irish illustration at the moment, but PJ – He's like I don't want to call him the granddaddy of because that makes it sound like he's had his day because he's very much completely on top of his. He's only twenty seven. We should just, just we should just say for listeners that he's, he's only twenty seven. But he, he never moisturised. He never moisturised, and that's what happened. So, uh, but he's he's a new book out called uh, "Twas the Night Before Christmas" where he illustrated that famous poem, and it's just uh, sumptuous stuff. And uh, so PJ is going to come on and and we're going to have a chat about his career and maybe give some advice for young artists who are trying to get into to illustration. So. Mr. P.J. Lynch, or as the French call him, P.J. So uh, let's get him on. Welcome to the part of the show we invite writers to. We really love them and we know you love them too. 
this podcast, we have an extra special guest, um, your friend Andrew and mine, and James's, and uh, anyone who's a fan of illustration, uh, the wonderful, iconic, can I say, uh, PJ Lynch. Uh, PJ has worked as a children's illustrator and occasional author uh, since 1984, which is, I think, does that before you were born, James? I'm not sure. But anyway, in that time, he's won every award going uh, the Mother Goose Award, the Christopher Medal, three times. Like two wasn't enough. We had to go for that third. And t- two, two Kate Greenway medals. Two Kate, Kate Greenway two medals. Greenway. So I, I think he's on some kind of records wall everywhere. But the, the, the crowning jewel, I think, of his life was no doubt um, working alongside me, PJ. Would that be? <laughs> we we did win. We won like the Dogo Losses Park. We did we did win a nice award. In, we in did. And that, I realized then that. Every time I go to award shows, I don't win. So in future, uh, I'm just not going to go. I'm the Jonah. So next time, Andrew, you're going on your own. And PJ, you, you went on your own. And that, that's why we won. But anyway, uh, PJ has, has written uh, many, many fantastic books. And uh, his style of art, I don't know, what would you say, PJ? Epic. I would say his style epic. is epic. Because epic. genuinely, when you look at it, there's so much detail um one thing that i love about your artwork that you that you do you manage to fit in massive things in landscapes or when you do a street or when you do a town there's not just so much detail but there's so much width and also so much depth as well you really yeah. feel that you can walk into any of your paintings and any of your pages and i love it. so can you tell us a little bit about when you get a text through how do you break it down how do you approach your process of, of beginning to take something like a picture book text and make it into the fantastic illustrations that you come up with well it's interesting that andrew when you say something like there's big landscapes and you put this in you put that in i was just thinking the other day i was trying to come up with a new story to write myself and i was just thinking how easy it would be for me to say and there was a huge room full of gold and jewels and all this kind of stuff and that's one sentence and you writers it takes you guys five minutes to craft a sentence Two minutes, I'd say, Andrew. Two minutes. <laughs> 30 seconds. But for me to paint a huge room full of golden things all over the place, it just it's a week's work, two weeks' work. So um that kind of stuff, yeah, that's important. If if the if the author includes descriptions like that, I have to reflect that in the pictures, you know. And I suppose it's my own fault for going for texts that have that epic quality about them. You know, I, I love um, great fairy stories and uh, legends and things like that. And a lot of them would have, you know, big um, vistas and uh, and dramatic scenes with lots and lots of characters. So it's my own fault. I make work for myself. I think I, as well, well if... something that you've said something there, PJ, that uh, in over 15 years of working with our regular collaborator, Giovanni Regina, who does uh, graphic novels like Legal, he hasn't worked that out yet. And when he hears his podcast, he's suddenly just going to realise that, in fact, he can just write his own stuff and it's a lot less work. So Yeah, well, but uh, being the illustrator, uh, Giovanni would be on twice the money that you guys are on. What? Is that right? Uh, yeah, that's what we've yes, told that's them. It. That is yeah, exactly that's right, what we've told You're absolutely spot yeah. on there, PJ. So it's completely fine. Absolutely. Oh, and um, what did you want to ask, PJ? Let's move on quickly. I, I, I had two questions, PJ. Uh, first of all, do you really have time to making up stories? I mean, I thought you were quite busy on a, a secret project there. <laughs> I didn't think you had time to 
I thought we were under the gun a little bit, but let's ignore that for now. One of my favorite uh, techniques of yours is perspective, in that you're always looking for a, a different perspective than people might imagine, for example, very high looking down on a, on a city, something like that. It, it, it's really cinematic. But what I wanted to ask you, and this is, I suppose, the real question, because a lot of young people listen to our podcast. And when we go touring, um, and we've toured together, PJ, me and you, Andrew, we meet a lot of artists, like a lot, I would say more than writers. But, but then they stop. Like there just seems to be this huge fall off in art for kids. Um, yeah. I was lucky to have a dad who kind of encouraged art, but do parents ask you, how do I keep my kids um, interested in art? Yeah, they do ask, and I would encourage them to, to keep drawing and um, use the new technology that, you know, the phones are taking over so many people's lives, but you can use it as an artistic uh, device. You know, you can, you can, uh, you can do Photoshop, you can do all sorts of special effects on the phone, and you can draw on phones and tablets and things. So rather than try say to the parents, um, oh, don't let them near iPhones or, or Galaxy phones, whatever, uh, I would say use the creativity of the phone because the kids are going to get into that stuff anyway. So um, just to encourage their creativity whatever way you can. The ideal way is a sketchbook. And uh, to for the kid to just lose themselves and, and draw during any sort of when I was uh, a child, back in those old days, we had only two channels on the TV, and a lot of the time there was nothing on, so there was nothing to do. If it was a wet day, you couldn't go out. So I would find a piece of paper and just scribble on it and lose myself in it. And I would love it if kids these days could do the same thing, but there's so many distractions. You know, it's yeah. terrible. But, what age uh, were you when you realised, when you thought, okay, you know, lots of people have said to me, oh, you're really good as a little kid, are oh, you really good artist? When did it click when you thought, actually, you know, I, I can do this as a, yeah, as a career? Well, <laughs> it clicked ridiculously early because my mum was always telling me I was really brilliant. And, and I thought, oh, wow, I'm brilliant. i got to keep at this. But what I didn't realize was that she was telling my brothers and my sister that they were all brilliant as well. But I was the only one who totally believed it. And I just kept going for that reason. So it's it's like if you get enough encouragement, it keeps you going, you know. So that was from, um, I don't know, age four or five. I was drawing away like crazy. And uh, I remember coming up to Christmas and always trying to draw Santa Claus. And when I... I I did something a bit clever was to get the shine on his belt, you know, yeah. and re realizing that some kids would think, Oh, I need some um, silver marker to, to make a shiny belt. And somebody must've shown me how to do a shiny belt by doing a black bit and then leaving it white and then another black bit. And it looks like a shine. And once you start, start learning those little tricks, you start getting better and people start thinking, Oh, he's the kid who draws. And that was always me. I was always the one who was uh, was drawing all the time. And how did you turn that into um, a trip across the water um, to Brighton College of Art? Or how, how did that come about? Uh, I suppose going through school, I, I was determined to go to art college. I wanted to be some sort of an artist, but I didn't know it was going to be illustration. And... Um, this was way back at the late 70s and the 80s. So Belfast, where I grew up, wasn't a great place to be. 
And uh, I couldn't wait to get away, to be honest. And uh, I got the chance to go to Brighton College of Art. And at that stage, I was just doing a sort of general design course. And I got to meet some really brilliant um, illustrators. The best known of them is Raymond Briggs. And uh, he inspired a lot of the students there to, to go into children's books. So that's that's how I got into it. Wow. And can you remember the first image you had published? Yes. <laughs> it was a friend of a friend um, who uh, was doing a small business and she was selling baby nappy stackers. And it, she was making them out of coat hangers and putting a little bit of um, material around them. And the idea was you put your nappy inside these things. And uh, she was selling them and she needed a, a drawing for the advert. So I think I may have got a fiver for that. So that was my first professional job. The Nappy Staggers does sound like an excellent name for a fantasy series. <laughs> a be. horror series. A horror series. That's, that's, uh, and how many books have you done since then, Beach? Since the Nappy Stackers? I've, moved on. <laughs> I've done about one a year, so I'm probably up about 28 or 29. I've missed a couple of years when I, I took on projects that were too big for one year. Yes. So 27, 28. How many have you done? Oh, God, I think I've done 44 or something or 45. Um, but some of mine are very, very short, as you know. So yeah. it doesn't take that long to write them. Um, I wanted to ask about your murals. You, you, you haven't just done books here. You're well known for your murals. So can you talk, tell us a little bit about the difference between painting a, a massive mural and doing an illustration for a, a small a small book? Yeah, the, well, the first murals I was commissioned to do were for uh, a library in County Cavan up in the north of Ireland, the northwest one. And uh, it was it was the place where um, Jonathan Swift had had been living when he wrote Gulliver's Travels, and not many people knew that. Oh, wow. So um, they wanted to um, celebrate that fact with some, some paintings based on Gulliver's Travels. And they wanted the paintings to be eight foot tall, five foot wide. So they had to be, couldn't do watercolours that big, so it had to be in oils. And I hadn't used oils for maybe 20 years. So I had to rediscover the technique. And uh, and then you have to look at it in a completely different way rather than, the, well, it's quite a different way. Because I, I was about to say, rather, you people um, perceive paintings on walls in a different way than they do a book illustration. But really, I used the same technique, you know, lots and lots of details so that people could sit and look at these paintings and get lost in them and find details that you don't see at first, you know. But the main difference was to to work in um, in oils rather than watercolor. If people want to get it, because obviously people will be listening to this and hopefully be interested in, in what we're all saying. How would they get a little glimpse into the world of uh, PJ Lynch? Well, I've got a website which is pjlynchgallery.com. And you can, if you just look up PJ Lynch illustration, uh, hundreds of illustrations will come up and you'll get to see uh, little videos that I did that showed my technique. So, th so they'll come up on Facebook and Instagram as well. And, and you've got a new picture book out at the moment about um, the night before Christmas. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? I do. 
This is it right here. Can you see that? Yeah. Uh, for, for those of you watching on audio, PJ is now holding <laughs> no, PJ is now holding up a book that you won't be able to see, yeah. but it is impeccably drawn and beautiful. It is beautiful. Go on. Um, so what, tell us a little bit about the story and what have you done? How did you approach the illustrations for that? Um, again, epic. Yeah, and it's been it's been illustrated by so many different uh, artists over the years. Uh, when and you say it, let's tell the listeners what, yeah, what is it. What, it was the night it? before Christmas, okay, uh, by Clement Seymour, and it's that very famous uh, Christmas rhyme that begins with "Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse." So it, it's that one, and it has been illustrated. It's all about uh, Saint Nick coming to deliver the presents. It was written over 100 years ago, maybe 150 years ago uh, in America. And it, to, in large part, it has informed our idea of what Santa Claus looks like. Um, so Clement Seymour deserves a lot of credit for it, if he wrote it indeed, because there's some dispute over whether he wrote it or whether someone else wrote it, but he gets the credit. Well, you, whoever wrote it, you definitely drew it. So would yeah. you mind giving us a little reading there, maybe uh, yeah. first few minutes? I know. Uh, I'd be happy to. Yeah, thank you. Um, Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. And Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. The moon on the breast of the new fallen snow gave a luster of midday to objects below when what to my wandering eyes did appear but a miniature sleigh and it tiny reindeer with a little old driver so lively and quick i knew in a moment he must be saint nick more rapid than eagles his coursers they came and he whistled and he shouted and called them by name now dasher now dancer now prancer and vixen on Comet, on Cupid, on Donner and Blitzen, to the top of the porch, to the top of the wall. Now dash away, dash away, dash away all. That's all. Yeah. It's That's so fantastic. Uh, so iconic. Everybody would be, would be nearly quoting that along. It's amazing how the penetration of that. Um, yeah. that we we all feel we know it, but, but you probably yeah. don't. No, you don't know the full version, just the beginning. Yeah. And I want to say for the people listening at home um, that PJ was reading from a book that was so new it crackled when he turned the page. <laughs> I don't want people to think that Owen and I were eating crackers and biscuits during your <laughs> reading there. Yeah. Well, PJ, uh, thanks very much for joining us today. I know you have a very busy schedule. And um, before we let you go, we would like you to make um, a recommendation of a book uh, that we can put with all our other uh, recommendations. And no pressure, just pick like anyone you want. It doesn't have to be anybody in particular, you know yourself. And yeah. uh, we will put it out. And it would mean a lot to whoever it book it is because they'd probably get loads of sales. Yeah, again, that'll be great. We're going to let you go into the next studio with Seamus and uh, record your recommendation, if that's all right. And in the meantime, we're going to say thank you very, very much for being our Christmas guest and telling us all about the night before Christmas and your fantastic 
third time I'm going to use the word, epic illustrations. Thank, Thank you, you very Thanks, much. PJ. Happy Christmas. Merry Christmas, mate. That was brilliant. Fantastic to have a, 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 a voice on from Ireland. I love PJ's stuff. His artwork is is so amazing. It's so you've everyone, every single one of his pictures feels like you can uh, walk into it. We have been very lucky, Owen, with the guests that we've been able to snag for this. Yeah, uh, Jonathan have. and Jenny. Um, and our next recommendation um, is from Cressida Cowell, who, as I said when she was on a couple of episodes ago, uh, you know, uh, she's our laureate in England. She's my Captain America. Uh, she's our leader. Um, Seamus uh, visited her um, in uh, a beautiful uh, southwest London to, to, to storm in during a family dinner time and take a book recommendation. Again, she's a good mate. Again, I don't know which of our books she's going to pick, but um, Seamus is ready with the tape. So um, actually, Seamus looks, Seamus looks increasingly worried as he plays these. Anyway, Seamus, play the tape. Okay, my recommendation... Um, it's for slightly older readers than, than, than readers of my books and maybe young teens. And it's the Track series by Jason Reynolds. Um, it's a wonderful, there are four stories told by um, four different, different kids and they're just completely gripping, um, told um, from four different points of view. And I love how they weave together. Um, I think it's really, really clever. That is, um, it's disappointing, obviously, and even more for, so for you, because it's like a royal slap in the face for you. Like your own laureate has disrespected you on the internet. Captain internet, America. So. I can't imagine yeah. how sad you no, be. Captain America has just flanked us uh, by, by not choosing not choosing one of ours. Bless, bless Cresta. There we go. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it was rubbish, but I loved it. And it's your choice this week. Let's, let's have yeah. the jingle. It was rubbish, but I loved it. It was rubbish, but I loved it. And this week we have a seasonal set of rubbish things and uh, they are Christmas presents. We've all gotten those Christmas presents that were rubbish, uh, but we loved them. Or we thought they were rubbish and they ended up being amazing. And I have uh, three to speak about. And maybe you might have one to add in at the end, Andrew. And my first one... Uh, was a chopper bike. Do you remember the chopper bikes? Absolutely. Uh, in the in Absolutely. the 70s, they were amazingly uh, successful and they were based on, and they were very, very cool. And they were based on the American chopper motorbikes. So the idea was that it had a long padded seat and high handlebars and you just lean back and you just cycle around the estate and you looked amazingly cool. That's not the one I got. I did not get that one. Uh, I got what was called a... Um, chopper sprint and someone thought you know what we should do on these bikes that are that are built and weighted so that you have to lean back that's the way they're built because they have a small front wheel and a big back wheel why don't we stick racing handlebars on those so instead of being able to lean back you have to lean hunched over uh, and these bikes were not built for that so at the slightest touch of the front brakes you just went flying over the handlebar. <laughs> It was like trying to ride a billy goat with those with those handlebars, and uh, so while they looked amazing, uh, we were my brother and I. We both got them on Christmas Day, and it was fantastic. It was the biggest present that we ever got in our lives, and they were they were a wonderful present. But we got injured several times, and uh, my brother Paul, I don't know why he decided he would try this. We were cycling around the green by our house. And he was coming around the bend and he thought to himself, you know what you should do, Paul? You should try and let go of the handles and clap three times and then 
catch the handles again and see if that's possible. Uh, and as he found out, uh, two claps was possible. Three, <laughs> so he clapped twice. Uh, he leaned back. The bike just went out from under him. He slid in under a car, which he was lucky was stopped. Uh, the bike was totaled and he lost the front of his tooth. Ouch. So that was Christmas Day. Ouch. That's not good. <laughs> I, I too, as well as you, I have a vivid, I, I received a chopper, thankfully not the the one with the racing handlebar. Not handlebars. the sprint. Not, not the sprint. And for Christmas, and it was a, a purple one, and I have a vivid memory of waking up in my bedroom, and it was when I was still in the small bedroom at the front of the house at Wellesley Road, and and the bike was in with with a couple of with a sack of presents from Santa, and the bike was in my bedroom, and I have no earthly knowledge of how my who how let's say whoever um, came down the chimney and put it in my bedroom could have done that without waking me. Uh, because these, yeah. if I tried to deal with that with my kids, they would be awake in a, awake in a second. Oh, what are you doing, Dad? Why are you carrying that massive bike into my bedroom? But my, but whoever it was, Santa Claus, had got it into the bedroom. There was a couple of bits of tinsel on it, and it was just um, amazing as well. And then, of course, I had to insist that a grown-up got up uh, to carry it downstairs to the garden so that as I couldn't <laughs> ride it around my very small bedroom. Um, but but I really rem- I really wanted that. And I... I, I um, because you said to me that you were going to, I, I looked up the cost of them because I wondered how much they were. It wasn't something that that occurred to me. But they were thirty-two pounds apparently in the UK. A chopper bike yeah. that Christmas was thirty-two pounds, which was the which is the equivalent thirty-two pounds then is the equivalent to three hundred pounds today. That's that I, had, a big I, present. I had no idea that they were that expensive. I mean, I knew they were a big present, like a main present. Yeah. But when I was thinking about it today, I was thinking kind of like, oh, that must be like 50 quid in today's money or something. But it wasn't. It was 300, yeah. over 300 pounds in today's money. Um, yeah. And my guys, my parents were not not well off. That was a, that would have been a big uh, present. God, God bless them. But I remember waking up and there was a, a bike in my bedroom, which is just crazy. Uh, and I don't think you appreciate that at the time, how much it costs parents and Santa Claus to get all these presents and how, you know, how hard it must've been. And the two chopper sprints. I mean, again, if that, if they were 35, 70 quid for my parents yeah. back in the year 1978 or whatever, it's a big, big sacrifice for them to make. So, and you would just think, I'm, you would just think, I don't mind spending seventy pounds for my two sons. I love them. I just hope that they don't write the bike off on the same day that they take it out for its first ride. That's that's what you'd be thinking yeah. as a parent or a Santa Claus. Yeah. And then you turn. I, I can imagine my dad turning to my mother and saying, "Well, it's happened, Noreen. <laughs> it's just as, just as we feared." This is we it's foretold, happened. as the Christmas yeah. fairy tales foretold. Thus, it has come to pass, and the bike is written. It off. has come to pass. That what, our son what, has were other, what were your other presents? What else did you want to? Well, I had a lot of presents that I I was very I was very easily influenced as a kid by advert advertising, and they did some great toy ads uh, back in the late seventies, early eighties, and, and one of them was the American stuntman Evil Knievel, and he had a who used to famously jump over he jumped over the Grand Canyon on his rocket bike, but. Uh, this was a slightly more modest version. It was his uh, stunt cycle. And he was a tiny figurine, which you put on the stunt cycle. And he, he, he you couldn't really bend them into the shape. So you just so you were really just plonking a very erect man uh, onto a stunt cycle. And you couldn't bend his knees or arms. Uh, and then you had to wind up the stunt cycle and let him go. And when you saw the ad, <laughs> they did the perspectives from right down on the ground. So... It looked amazing. It looked epic. Uh, but then when you got him, 
uh, you were you were tiring of him. So he was kind of a spindly little plastic guy with a clockwork wind up thing. And people are very I fond I of never, it. But I, I never had that toy. I never had that toy, but my I knew a friend that did. Um, and it was disappointing, just as you say. And I kind of was, when I heard he'd got it, I was a bit jealous. And then when I went over to his house, you know, weeks later and saw it, and it just kind of failed to go 10 feet across the a room, um, I was very glad that I hadn't got it. And, he, and there was I, no backing music? There was no fireworks? No. No one cheering? I never stuff. really, in the 70s, now in the 70s, I was never really into uh, kind of motor cars or cars. So I never was really into sort of the stuntman thing of him. But yeah. I was really puzzled by... Um, a little bit of the eclat. I don't want to dis evil, you know, dis evil can evil because obviously he's, uh, he's, he's good. But isn't the point of being a stuntman that you can do stuff and not get injured? But evil, yeah. like every other jump he did, went horrendously wrong and he broke his legs and his pelvis and his arms and he had like 18 months in hospital getting over it. And then he would do some other daft jump and get away with it. But then the next one would go, uh, you know, just just completely wrong. And I and I I, I kind of didn't admire him as much as I might have done just because yeah. it seemed to constantly go wrong rather than like he did these daring things and actually, you know, got, got, never, away never, so never got hurt. Yeah, he I was never always, got hurt. No. He was always being carried off at the end of the show and he would manage to lift up one thumb. To yeah. The no, there's a, there's a, would you like to hear about just one of the accidents? I've got a short paragraph here on one of his, I would, I would love to. This is light accident. All right, this is taken. on May the tenth, nineteen seventy-one. Knievel crashed while attempting to jump thirteen Pepsi delivery trucks. His approach was complicated by the fact that he had to start on pavement, cut across grass, and then return to pavement. So every care was taken. His lack of speed caused the motorbike to come down front wheel first. He managed to hold on as the cycle until the cycle hit the base of the ramp. After being thrown off, he skidded for fifty feet broke his collarbone, suffered a compound fracture of his right arm and broke both legs. Ouch. That is... He suffered for his art. He suffered for his art. That was a brave guy. And, and I think his son then took up the mantle uh, when the dad stopped doing it. So it was a generational thing. Um, what do you want to do? I want to follow my dad's footsteps and fall off my bike for 50 feet. So, uh, But anyway, the, the point is that that was a a toy that everyone was getting and I thought I had to have. And then when I got it, you went, you know what, this is not a great toy. Um, but then a, a few years later, I was getting into uh, sci-fi and fantasy. Um, and that was really my thing. And then my uncle was always a big deal going over to my uncle's house. Uh, and he gave me a book called birds of the world. And I was like, what? like a nature book for a sci-fi guy I, I just couldn't and i was so upset because i felt quite close to that uncle we all have that cool uncle that we really like and yeah, yeah. For, for him to give me that felt like oh we're, we're not close anymore because he's so fallen out of touch with me that he's given me a book about birds uh and he must have sensed that that i didn't really like the present because he came over to me after and he said you know I think you're really good at drawing, and I thought you'd like to draw these birds. And 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 it showed me that he was thinking about me, and not just picking up a random book for a shelf. And as it turned out, then I spent years copying the birds um, out of that book. So that's one of those presents where I thought it was rubbish, but it turned out to be possibly the best present I could have gotten uh, at that time. So uh, no, that's not. I think there is a difference in perspective in between between yeah. adults and kids. Adults will often, I think, and I, I and I'm guilty of this, buy the present, buy a present for a kid, 
that represents something that they'd like the kid to be interested in or think the kid should be interested in. And the kid yeah. wants presents. Obviously, when I was a kid, I wanted presents about stuff I was already interested in, stuff I might yeah. get interested in. So yeah. like you, I was going, like, well, I'm not interested in that now. Whereas the adult would kind of think, oh, you know, this is great. I'd yeah. really like to talk to you about it. And this could be of use to you. And, and it's an interest you could have. Whereas as a kid, you have a very narrow blink of like, these are the things I am interested in. And, and you know, could I have presents those, please? Yeah, that I think that's absolutely right, and uh, I'm guilty of it too. I want my kids to go in a certain way. I really, I remember really trying to get my younger boy interested in Lego because I, I had so many fantastic yeah. years. Oh with yeah, Lego. I love Lego. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I thought he's missing out. He, he's not doing Lego, so we just kept buying him, him buying him Lego, and he just kept ignoring it or throwing it in corners. And there were whole sets of Legos that were never opened. <laughs> Uh, because it wasn't his thing and and but for the second child i think we had gotten over we gotten that out of our systems so i said i'm just going to try maybe 12 sets of lego and if he doesn't <laughs> take it up then i'm gonna leave it so i have no lego people have you got is, is fisher interested in a LEGO? little bit not as much as i would like so lexi not at all lexi uh 13 nearly 14 not at all interested in lego Fisher, yes, does some Lego. He needs a little bit of persuading. You have to prize the computer screen or the phone screen out of his cold, clammy hands. And then when you get him yeah. with some Lego, then then he'll do it. He's got a big um, big Baby Yoda thing that we're going to build over Christmas. It's not Christmas present. It was from his birthday um, that we're going to build. So he needs a little bit of encouragement. But then he actually gets a real sense of um, reward and whatnot when he's, you know, when, he, when he's done it. Yeah. Uh, Seamus, you should know that every present we you get from us for, for the next 10 years for your little baby is going to be Lego. <laughs> and it may look a bit battered because it might be one of the ones they gave to Finn and he'd never even opened the box. Your evil Knievel motorcycle made in Lego. Oh, wow. Well, then it would break apart effectively. You know, it would look good when it landed. It would be realistic. Um, but you know what would, I think, probably cheer me up after talking about uh, all these things, rubbish presents, is if we got finally, finally got a recommendation from an author ah. uh, that featured us. Well, the next recommendation is from M.G. Leonard. She was on the program last podcast telling us about her encounter on a hydrogen train uh, with the Prime Minister, which really um, is when things started to go very wrong for Boris. So I think maybe M.G. People will look back and see that as the beginning of the downfall. Um, so uh, I happen to know that M.G. is a big graphic novel fan, uh, she absolutely loves us, so it would it would stun me sideways if she didn't recommend illegal. So, uh, Seamus, you have been down to her lovely abode uh, near Brighton uh, once more. Gate crashed a family dinner and got a book recommendation. Um, please play it. Hello, my name is M.G. Leonard, and my book recommendation is *The Murderer's Ape* by Jacob uh, Wegelius. And this book is an astonishing story uh, about an ape called Sally Jones. And she's an engineer on a ship. She is the narrator of the story. And one of the things that I think makes this book particularly special is obviously she's an ape. She cannot communicate or talk, but she understands the humans all around her. And she's the one who's telling this story. And the fact that she can't actually speak makes the narrative really poignant uh, and special. But this story has got the drama 
uh, of a murder. Her friend, the chief on the ship, has been arrested uh, as the suspected murderer. And Sally, uh, who is an ape, sets out to solve that murder and save her best friend. Uh, the journey takes you across the globe to interesting places. Uh, it's really gripping. It's uniquely told. Uh, and it's full of really beautiful drawings um, by uh, Jacob, uh, fine penpoint drawings and characters that are just captivating. It's one of those stories, a bit like a Studio Ghibli movie, that sometimes moves at a slow pace, but you don't want it to speed up. Every detail is beautifully uh, thought out and put together. And it's one of those books that feels like a classic, yet new and exciting at the same time. The murders, it's, it's all... It seems like it's all it's all gone wrong for us today, Andrew. You know, you're trying to be optimistic going into Christmas. Um, finally, the political world has calmed down, except in the UK. And uh, now we get this, the murder is It's, it's, doubly, it's doubly hurtful because, firstly, um, well, it's not one of our books. And secondly, the murderers ate. Uh, I thought I'd bagged yeah. that for my autobiography title. So um, I'm... I'm I'm doubly <laughs> perplexed. I'll be honest with you, doubly perplexed. Um, you yeah. look you look very pained. So shall we move on to Agony Owen? Thank you for your question. Agony Owen will be with you shortly. Today's uh, we got one question. This podcast. Um, please send in uh, questions for season two to doublebookpodcast at aol.com. Anything that you want to know about writing, uh, techniques of writing publishing, being published, the publishing industry, etc. This question is from Doreen uh, Stevens, who sent it in um, by email from uh, Hornchurch in Essex. And she says, in a previous podcast, uh, you said you try and write nearly every day. Uh, Owen, do you take time off over Christmas? And if you do, how long? Um, well, Doreen, I don't really take time off at all. And the, and the reason for that is is I don't consider writing to be you know time on if you like for me it's it's like i'm lucky enough to do my hobby as a profession uh, and even though it is hard work i try and get a little bit done every day so if if i'm forced to take time off over christmas i will so sometimes you have to close the computer for a few hours and uh, you know talk to the family and I, I i like doing that i love doing that but as soon as i can as soon as i feel i've done my bit for humanity I will sneak off uh, and do a bit of work. And sometimes it's hard to do that, obviously, because if I come out to my office here and turn on the light, I'm quite obviously writing and uh, that could be frowned upon on Christmas Day. So what I'd like to do is I take my little laptop and I say, oh, just had a lot of turkey there. I think I'll, I'll go to the bathroom. And I think sometimes I give it away a bit by declaring I'm going to the bathroom because only children do that usually. Uh, and I sneak off <laughs> and I will um, I will do 15 minutes. And even, even that 15 minutes, if you get like a paragraph written or a, a few good sentences, it can just change my mood for the day. And I, you probably agree with that, Andy. Totally. It can turn a day around. If you're having a bit of a bummer day and then you just are determined to get that, even a sentence, a good sentence, an interesting sentence, that, that can really take me out of a mood if I'm in a mood. Say, for example, we played four podcast guests and none of them, or five even, and none of them recommended our books. Uh, I would probably then just go in and try and write a good par paragraph in which five random authors were murdered. And then that would make me feel a lot better about everything. So my answer to you, Doreen, is 
I don't really take time off. Um, now, I, I'm not kind of working myself to the bone. I do enjoy life and as it goes on around me, but I, there would never be a day, I, don't, I think, where I don't at least write a paragraph of something or a sentence or two. Um, uh, and, but that's just me. What about you, Andrew? I, I used to particularly like the time between kind of the two weeks of Christmas because all editors used to take those two weeks off so you could kind of have a little bit of a catch-up and, yeah. um, you know, you could do the odd day and you could do the odd hour in the evenings and stuff and catch up. And then last year, because of COVID and everyone was working from home anyway, it didn't make any difference and the editors didn't really take any time off because everybody would just got to a kind of freelance lifestyle where they were doing hours, odd hours, whenever they could. And so there wasn't that kind of giant shutdown. Everything just kind of carried on. And I think that's one of the weird long-term things about the kind of changes to society with COVID is that people previously that you and I worked for editors in offices with quite strict nine to five and this, that and the other grazing kind of, kind of work schedule. Yeah. I, I agree. And, and nobody's taken any time off. And if, if you're at home and you have something to do and the opportunity arises, you, most people will do it rather than, if you're on your Christmas holidays away from work and nobody is working, you tend to find something else to do that's not work-related. But but me and you and Seamus, I suspect, also are doing what has to be done and it, it doesn't matter um, when that happens. Although when, when Seamus, little Seamus arrives, there'll be no more work at odd hours because there will be no free time. <laughs> all, all time is booked, and uh, yeah, which will be... Which would be nice for you, and we wish you luck with with it, Seamus. But we will at no point offer any assistance. Just wise words, wise, Andrew, wise words, love, and good feelings, which I think is, you know, that's that's very. Yeah, wise words. Yeah, wise words, love, and good feelings, and maybe the occasional yeah. postcard from a from a summer sunny when we're having you know margaritas by a beach. That's, we'll send you a postcard. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> uh, now, no, um, Seamus. Did you did you, you popped into the studio next door and recorded a book recommendation with PJ? Didn't you before he left us? Yeah, we uh, managed to get a little recording from PJ. Now I haven't got a chance to listen back to the recording, but I'm sure everything was perfect. We recorded it. He was very happy about his recommendation. He knew got you guys would be very happy with it. So uh, let's uh, let's see if we can pull up the tape. Great, great. Run, run, PJ. Let's go. Hi, my name is PJ Lynch, and my recommendation is The Magician's Elephant by Kitty Camillo. Kitty Camillo is one of my favorite authors, and she is really wonderful on characterization and also on um, dialogue. Dialogue is probably her biggest strength. And this book is wonderful. It's more magical than most of her books, to be honest. Uh, but the magic is really based in reality and that's that's what sort of makes it ring true for me it also happens to be illustrated by um, yoko tanaka and she, yoko has done fantastic illustrations that match uh katie camillo's text really beautifully so uh i think anyone who likes a little bit of historic fiction will love getting into this book it's absolutely magical and wonderful characters and enjoy it get that one for christmas but there are two authors who even pip Katie Camillo for me, for, for my favourites. Uh, that would be Andrew Gronkin and Owen Colfer. They're just absolutely wonderful authors and they've worked together on many different projects. And my favourite book of theirs is... He's gone, that's it.
he that's was it. gonna that's the end I'm of the sure year. He was gonna he was gonna say I felt he was gonna say, I mean I'm I'm not oh. sure if you were involved, Andrew. I felt it was probably me, but you know, at least one of us. But we've seen this, this young shot settle even for that. We seem to be zero, no none for six there. I don't know what that's, the cricket term for that is. Bowled and they're bowled out and bowled over, and a couple Alfred, of Alfred, Alfred uh, so it, that's 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 the end of um, the first series of double booked um, yes. because uh, we've done a, we've done six episodes. We didn't have a guest in the first one. It was just you and I rabbiting on. Yeah. I've loved uh, seeing you every month doing a double booked with you, talking about children's books, talking about the industry, talking about writing. We've had some fantastic guests. Thank you, especially to Jonathan Stroud, Jenny Valentine, um, Carissa Kawa, MJ, and um, uh, PJ Lynch today. And our yeah. fantastic uh, uh, co-producer and studio engineer, Seamus, Seamus Redmond. Um, and, and mostly thanks to you, my friend. Oh, well, thanks to you. Uh, it, it's been good and it's, it's been kind of educational for us too. I've liked hearing the questions that come in to see what people really want to know about. Because sometimes you take for granted that people know stuff about this industry that maybe um, they don't. So I hope we've managed to spread some kind of, uh, I wouldn't say laser-focused knowledge, uh, meandering, meandering knowledge. Meandering maybe knowledge. If you can I think do it ten not. times, you find something. That's there. still knowledge. And and if people have um, suggestions um, and questions uh, for the next series, which starts in January, then please let us have them on doublebookpodcast at aol.com And everybody have a very, very merry Christmas. Stay safe. Have as good a Christmas as you can, and happy New Year. And all that remains for uh, me to say is, uh, my pal Andrew. Can you please read the credits? I will. Double Booked was produced by Owen Colfer and Andrew Donkin and Seamus Redmond. Sound editing by Seamus Redmond. Theme music by Liam Bates. This has been a Silver Foxes Productions. We hope you have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Other festive holidays are available.